Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Jeremy Fisk and Lee Carlo, baby. This week, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about Steven Soderbergh and his new film on HBO Mask, HBO Max, <laughs> <laughs> Let Them All Talk, starring Meryl Streep and Lee's favorite actor, um... <laughs> Uh, Lucas Hedges. Lucas Hedges, thank you. Um, and then we're going to play a recording from an email that we got about our discussion about HBO Max. And it's been an evolving situation, guys, with lots of filmmakers and other people weighing in. So I think it's fun to continue to talk about it. I, hopefully we're not boring our audiences with that discussion. And if we are, let us know. Feedback at GetYourFilmFixPodcast.com. Alice has a manuscript that's due really soon. Everyone at the agency is getting a bit nervous. I mean, I haven't seen a manuscript. Have you seen the manuscript? I have not seen a manuscript. For years now, she's been hinting that she's revisiting one of her characters, so I booked her on the Queen Mary 2 with her two friends and her nephew. Here's to picking up the conversation where we left off, and here's to reconnecting the gang of three who we used to be. <laughs> Did you always talk like that? I'm going to start work on my manuscript. Swim at three, dinner at seven, back to work or bed or both. I'll probably work in bed. I kind of feel like I'm spending time with three almost like... Dinosaurs. No. <laughs> you believe Alice and her book determined your whole life? The consequences on my life of her actions were unacceptable. Want to go have a drink later? No, I can't. Okay, guys. So this week we all watched uh, Let Them All Talk. Um, I want to talk more about that movie in detail. But I did I did have a question for you guys. As, as we kind of are as straight white men getting used to this landscape where the assumption is everything isn't for us. Um, you know, people are trying to make movies that appeal more specifically to people of color, to women, to different sex of people. More broadly. More broadly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and as I've all, I, I've always thought, and I think we've discussed that on this podcast, maybe not quite this romantically, but I've always thought that film is um, is the power of film when it's at its best is is something that can can really make you underst- understand what it's like to walk in another person's shoes. The, the movie I always think about and, and I've mentioned it on the podcast is, is Moonlight, Green right? Book. Or Green Book. I've I've never I, you know I didn't I don't have anything in common with the guy who uh, the the kid from Moonlight and yet you know I I very much enjoyed that movie and and had a had some kind of personal connection to it and um, though I didn't really enjoy the film uh, never rarely sometimes always that we reviewed earlier this year made me really understand what it was like to to be in the you know <clears throat> what it was like to be a a, a young teenage girl facing sort of the problems of the world. Um, and so I think, you know, in my head and as, as sort of a putting it forward, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confident in saying that's what film is for at its best. It can be something that makes you empathize with other people that aren't like you, at least not like you on paper, you know, um, not the way society likes to define us. Uh, that being said, I, I'd be lying if I said I don't always, I don't necessarily like uh, seek out movies that are about people like me, but the movies I do tend to like are the ones that, you know, usually are about 
white guys, and that's not why I like them. It's just like I like movies about crime or whatever, you know, whatever the type of movies that I like are. Um, so I'm saying that, and I would assume that was also the case for you guys. And it's it's something we can't help in a lot of ways because these movies, you know, for the for the for the longest time, you know, that's the type of people who have been empowered to make movies. You know, straight white guys. That directors tend to be straight white guys, right? But um, when we look at a movie like this directed by a straight white guy, but a, a movie about, you know, essentially like senior women um, who are, you know, pretty, for the most part, pretty rich and don't have the same sort of struggles <clears throat> and, 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 and I don't know, life challenges that we do. Does that color the way you go into a movie? Are you, do you look forward to it less? Do you, do you, as someone who, knowingly has to watch this movie as as uh ob- as objectively as possible do you have to tell yourself something as you watch it jeremy um so it kind of goes to show you how big of a film geek i, I am when i'm going into movies cuz that had nothing to do with my expectation for this movie everything that uh framed my expectation of this movie was Soderbergh's previous movie that we reviewed on this film, High Flying Bird, which Ah. I really didn't like. So I came into this movie with that being the last sort of uh, quick production straight to... A streaming uh, service. Streaming service. Soderbergh does in record time sort of movie. And and I didn't like it. And I was just like, are we going to get another one of those? Am I going to be like... Like that that's what framed my reference going into this movie. It had nothing to do with uh, the main characters or who starred in it or what it was about because I really knew nothing about that. I was just like, I, I don't want to do another high-flying bird that sure. just I, didn't uh, keep my attention. So that's that's where I came from, but that's probably unique. But I guess I like, say. it's not. It's not because of exactly what Chapin is saying is that we are – consciously or unconsciously drawn to the straight white guy director that's making the movie. We are interested in Soderbergh. He has been marketed to us, if you want to call us film geeks or whatever, film scholars, I think was the word you were looking for, is <laughs> he is marketed in some way, shape, or form to us, where in High Flying Bird, the culture that's represented in that maybe isn't as represent representative of what we're looking for. And, and he did The Laundromat last year, too. Um which I didn't see. I didn't either. Also starring Meryl Streep. I saw it, and we can talk about maybe that a little bit later, but a little bit more of a broad appeal, you know, similar in many ways to this, mostly because of its star power. And male, female, gay, straight, old, or young, star power is also primarily white and straight, you know? And in this case, it's women, but it's Meryl Streep. So... All of the things you're talking about, Chapin, I think are really interesting discussions. And I think to a certain extent, maybe after the fact apply to this movie, but certainly not going in. I wasn't looking this as in any way uh, in any way as a movie that I was like, OK, I need to get over the hump that this isn't really for me. This isn't about, you know, me, quote unquote. Right. Well, I think, you know, I think back to a movie um, from last year, uh, Netflix's film Atlantic's. Um, mm-hmm. which I believe mm-hmm. was set in an yeah. African country. I'm looking up exactly which one it was now. But uh, it was set in Dakar, wherever that is. Um, 
that is in Senegal. Uh, so, you know, that's yeah, about that a, a great point. A black woman who is a child bride and doesn't want to be married to the person she's going to marry. And that's a movie that, I mean, that's a situation I, I will never understand from a personal level, but again, I think this is what films are for. When films are really well done, they connect us to these people we wouldn't otherwise have a connection with. That's why I think like sort of, you know, I am a, you know, progressive person and, and progressive politics, um, for the most part, I think I agree with, but I, I just don't think they always sort of align with the goals of a film. That's sort of off the, off the, uh, a different, a different point here, but, um, okay, well, let's move on. Um, so what did you guys, uh, I don't want to get, what did you guys think of the movie? I mean, it's interesting to think about High Flying Bird. I, 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 I that I forgot that we had reviewed that movie. That's how unmemorable that film was. <laughs> but, um, wait. Well, I'm starting to have a bit of a problem with Steven Soderbergh. Uh-oh. And I think we'll talk about him a little bit more. We're going to probably touch on some of his thoughts on the Warner Brothers HBO Max situation and his outlook on that. And we've talked a lot about kind of his career and what he's doing. And I love all of that. I like that he is continuously trying to do new things. And, you know, if for no other reason than just for himself, to challenge himself. I think that's all well and good, but I'm I'm really starting to get frustrated by the meaninglessness of his movies. And you can say that about the last three I think if you go back, uh, another one you have Unsane, which maybe had something to say, but I found to be pretty forgettable too. I mean, you go through his recent filmography and his movies are kind of meaningless. And I felt that way about this. I just, hmm. w- what what was this movie saying? And and maybe taping you're onto something with like, this is relatable to somebody that's not me, to 70 year old women kind of looking back on life and their relationships and trying to, uncover what that means and what happened and and how things can be you know changed and fixed there are things that are out of your control and i i think maybe that's all there but god i just this movie to me just felt so so much like just like nothing and i thought it was well suited for a streaming service because it felt like one that's just going to get lost in the catalog of movies on streaming services it's it's funny that you say that frustrating i i actually really really enjoyed watching this movie um, I, I really had a good time and I, I'm with you, Lee. Like it's, I, I've, I've sort of forgotten about it as soon as I had watched it. And, and when I come to think, I was thinking of like, Oh God, what could specifically, what could you pick on in this movie? I'm like, yeah, that's, that is a problem. <laughs> I, I like how Chapin frames his movie watching now with what will Lee pick on? Well, you, know, you, you try to, you try to anticipate what, where the conversation is going to go, especially if you're hosting. <laughs> um, but I did think, you know, like, it's funny that we are that. I mean, we're lucky really that we're doing a, a, a Fincher movie followed by a Soderbergh movie. Like that's incredible. That's not a, a, yeah. a typical year for us and they're colleagues and friends. Um, and I think that they're like, simpatico in a lot of ways for me and i think though fincher is a filmmaker i like a lot more than soderbergh i like soderbergh a lot and i think i like them for similar reasons and they have similar approaches to you know technology and they've been sort of leading the way and shooting schedules shooting schedule well (laughs) they've been leading the way in in terms of 
um, you know, digital technology. But but your point is is well is well suitedly because I just think um, I think Soderbergh just likes to work. You know, like yeah. I was thinking about this, that, you know, even in, in my little way at, at work, like when we are surrounding a video project or a commercial, like I just want to get there and I just want to shoot it. I just want to get on set. I want to be shooting. I want to be editing. I want to be working like as the things you think about when you think of filmmaking. Um, but it's really like we're just like, you know, in order to get anything done, we have to spend, you know, months in meetings leading up to it. And and that part of it is just not interesting to you know someone who wants to go shoot something and um i think like i think that's what soderbergh's thing is he doesn't want to sit around and like negotiate and uh you know figure out spend like years and years prepping a movie i'm sure he's done that in the past but you know he's got a script that's decent uh i guess this one was was mostly improvised he can shoot something in, you know, a couple of weeks aboard a, you know, aboard a, a, a floating set and he can get it onto HBO with minimal um, backlash. And I think there's something admirable about, admirable about that. I understand it doesn't yield the kind of like great movies like Mank might be or like Zodiac, for example. But um, so I and that's I agree with all of that. Just don't make me watch it is what I wrote down. Like. I think all of that is great and like but why can't that be good or at the very least interesting and to me this movie was an example of a trend that's starting to exist of his him doing that without making an interesting movie Mm. and I just find that kind of making it all moot like okay dick around with all sorts of stuff iPhones shooting on Queen Mary 2 on your voyage to England like great awesome just like, show your friends in the basement. Put it on YouTube. Like, I just, I mean, I guess he sort of is doing Show that, your friends but... in the basement with, Meryl, with Meryl Streep starring. <laughs> right, but that's what makes it so strange is that, like, you know, High Flying Bird is, like, all these, pe- may, you know, a couple of people maybe you've seen before where this is just, like, iconic actresses. All right, well, can I, can I address both these issues Please. here? Um, where do you guys... Before I say anything, where do you where do you think I fall on this? If you were if you were betting men, I, I, am I, I more I'm on the Lee side? Or, I'm betting you're falling on Lee's side. Oh no, I think you liked it more than I think you liked it. So you're betting against each other. Yep. All right. Uh, <laughs> we're betting I, against our own. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought this movie was lovely. I yep. really, That's really, I really That's enjoyed it. Yeah, so I, I totally disagree with Lee as far as don't make me watch it. It's a cool, <laughs> it's a cool idea, but just please don't make me be a part of your experiment. I mean, first off, I fucking love that Soderbergh is capable of doing this. Okay, and All right, it, and and like. <laughs> It just goes to show you that you don't need restrictions. You don't really need money. You can just sit down and make a movie. Of course, star power helps, but like he has an idea and he he's just like 
executes it. And, and I love the fact that they, they filmed it on the cruise ship while the cruise ship was active and they had to actually work out with the real fucking world that money couldn't just buy them all the time and whatever they wanted, that they had to actually work out the logistics with the real world and, and sit down and make the movie based on that. Because there's a certain amount of creativity that comes with those restrictions. And we've been saying it for year, years. We've been saying it with like Scorsese once Scorsese got the endless budget, we we started to sort of like his movies a little less. We like the raw creativity of films like this. And to your point, Lee, like there's there there is a reason he made this movie. Like I first off just really enjoyed watching these women talk to each other and interact. But I think this movie was about telling your story and reconciling your life, sort of. Um, and, and when that sort of comes up against somebody or something that says maybe something different than what you think about your own worldview. And I think that's important. And I think that is saying something. So I, I totally disagree that this movie is just an experiment of Soderbergh being able to see if he can shoot on a, a cruise ship while it's active but i love the fact that he did i uh, love that too and and i'm oversimplifying my point by saying that this is an experiment in the same way that movies like high flying bird or and unsane and the girlfriend experience are the it's it's not that same category this is more mainstream this if if you split his types of movies in half which we've talked about before this well, falls why are you in, categorizing this into mainstream or not mainstream or this like, is all beside like, I, this is all beside the point i i agree with you guys in terms of what soderbergh did here i love that he stripped it down i love that he had a 30 person crew and that he basically said we're going to get on the ship and we got to start shooting because it's going to dock and they're going to kick us off i loved all of that and that and he made a point in an interview that doesn't matter how much more money he had it would have been the same movie because they still had all the same restrictions based on their set i love that that has nothing to do with what this movie turned out to be i just i just found that these characters were unlikable and maybe it's interesting to kind of hear their perspectives on life and how the how those perspectives kind of clash with each other and if that works for you, fine. Like that's that's it works subjective for me in enough. the same way. Like but, my dinner with Andre works for a lot of people, and and I enjoy that movie. But like I think this movie really, really works on that level. Just interesting okay. characters going through a, a very unique time. It's not super. It's not life or death. It's not. You know, these are are people who who probably have it pretty good. I mean, um, what's her name? Uh, Candace Berg. What's her name? Candace uh, Bergen. Yeah, Bergen's uh, character obviously is struggling a little bit more financially and and wondering how she got where she got in life. But it also makes for some hilarious dialogue of her trying to pick up a guy on the ship. Um, and I thought they were all so great too. Like I, I you know, come fixie season, I wouldn't be oh, surprised fuck. if a lot of these names are there for me and high gonna, up. I was going to say I was going to be really pissed if if this movie ends up on f- fixing. Oh, it's going to end up high on fixing that. You know know, uh, know what else Lee is going to make you mad? I thought Lucas Hedges was great. I did too. And I love the character. I thought thought he was actually pretty good in this movie, and I wrote this down. And this maybe is one of the better performances I've I've seen him in. But basically I I was thinking, okay, so this is an actor who's been very highly praised for his work in movies like Manchester by the Sea, 
Boy Erased, Three Billboards, movies that, like them or not, had something to say and and just kind of meant something. Whereas to me, this movie just exists. Like it 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 didn't mean anything to me, and I didn't connect to any of the characters. So what good is the performance? So. I, I don't disagree that this you, you was a better performance by him, but it just meant nothing. I, I, you were enchanted by these people just not listening at all, to Not because them. I didn't like any of them. I didn't like Meryl Streep. I found her dull, and I found her kind of mean. And maybe that's okay, but, like, there was not anything to really latch onto, and there was no reason to care about her the way that the other characters cared about her. Like, why are why is Lucas Hedges and her agent looking out for her her agent i guess because she has to it's her job and i think maybe that's why the candace bergen character was a little bit more interesting because she was sort of uh she was sort of an antagonist in a way because she was angry with meryl street meryl street plays a woman named alice candace bergen plays roberta and diane weiss plays susan uh and but i just found even Candace Bergen's character, well, again, I kind of liked the whole, like, she's just trying to find a rich guy on the ship, and it's just sort of, like, playing cleverly on a, on that kind of cliche. I also just found her relatively unlikable. She, she didn't seem to have any silver lining in her character. There was not anything about her that you could say, God, I kind of hope she does find a guy. She did get the raw end of the stick. And even if she did, so what? She's not I, a very likable well, person. I, I admired her resolve to confront her friend you know she's got this terrible life where she's but she in her really. 70s changing her mind it was so wishy-washy but she, but she did at the end and she she came out and asked for what she wanted and she confronted her and i think i i really admired that like she's this woman who got a raw deal and you and i think the script does a does a smart thing and in, in not really really explaining how that went i mean you kind of get a sense of it but and and she's you know has this dead end job at you know seventy and she doesn't feel like you know she has she ha- she has to do it and then she asks Meryl Streep at the end of it for compensation and and she willingly gives it to her because she knows she's in the right. I thought that was a lovely moment. I mean, it's see you know on the surface it seems kind of you know a little <sighs> trite or, or 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 superficial and you wish it wasn't just about money. But I mean, let's be honest. Like this is the difference between these two characters is that one is poor and one isn't and one has all these resources and can can you know force her company to pay for (laughs) four tickets aboard this fancy cruise yeah and i think i think part of it also is that there is a past a tangible past you can feel that weighs on these relationships and that makes it interesting even with lucas hedge's character there feels like there's a past with meryl streep and and I, i i get that Meryl Streep is is sort of she she's sort of for lack of a better word I guess the boring character the character that sort of has to anchor everything else that's going on and yeah, she's cold yeah and she's she's cold but I I feel like of course if anyone pulls it off it's her I, f- I feel like she is able to pull it off with some empathy and I feel Absolutely. like below the surface there's a lot of empathy for her Absolutely. um for her and from her this and I, I don't a, know how you missed any. All I didn't this miss stuff. any of this. First of all, I maybe I did miss this, but I I didn't see this past that you're talking about, especially with Lucas Hedges. He just felt like 
they just plucked his character out and put him into this movie. Like I, I didn't see I any feel like relationship she obviously between cared for him. him. I guess specifically, maybe. but in terms of Meryl Streep, like this was such a like, like half-ass performance to me. She's never going to be bad. She's good in the same way she's always good. But like, there was not anything here that warrants a Fixie nomination. Please, and you will not convince me otherwise. Like this, and maybe the bar Meryl, is set. She, she's going to get Lee's nomination for right the now, pound. and she she listened to this podcast. I mean, maybe the bar is set higher for her, but like, I don't know. I. But Lee, I think, I, I didn't I like, think the reason I didn't like you don't these like her is because she's so good at being unlikable in this. No, no, no. Because I I looked very closely at this because I thought about that. She is good at playing that. There was like some Devil Wears Prada uh, type of character in this role without the extremes. And I love her performance in that movie. And I saw a little bit of that here. She plays a, She plays kind of a quiet coldness very, very well. And she does that in this movie. And I'm not taking anything away from her, but that that wasn't enough to make her character interesting for me. And it wasn't... There was not a layer of empathy that I had for her. I thought she was cold, and I didn't like her because of it. And her friends, Candace Bergen, despite what she's going through, I found unlikable. I didn't think there was... Despite her ambition and her drive to confront this situation and then eventually doing so I didn't feel victorious for her because I just I I didn't have any interest in her succeeding because I didn't like her and then I felt like Diane Weiss's character was equally as boring like I I didn't feel like she brought a lot to the movie she sort of played a middle ground between the two like saw both sides and tried to talk reason to Candace Bergen's character but I don't know I but what do you what do you want them to do that's not what this movie is this movie I wanted isn't the characters to be more likable I, I this just movies about the the shades of gray in life and it's about this one trip that isn't that long and sort of a lot has to happen but these aren't extreme characters there's not going to be a fight or I'm not a, looking for any wine extreme. in the face or I mean Lee I, I when I when I when I was when I finished watching this I thought of sideways you know no because I mean, but those characters are likable are for, but, but, amongst but, all their flaws but why why are they likable and and Meryl and her crew are not well I think the performances are better in that movie I think you do see empathy I think you you can draw more parallels to Jack's character in sideways although he's more, you know, loud and extreme than the characters in this movie. But, you you know, you watch him, and he's not a very good person. He's doing all these wrong things. But they have one scene where he just, like, breaks down, and he sounds like a goofball, and he's, like, sobbing all over himself. But that's what I mean. And... This movie doesn't have those extremes. It doesn't... Okay. I well, don't feel like it needs Chapin's them. Chapin's the one it that doesn't... compared it to Sideways. I'm just... I... My thing, my thing is, I'm not looking for extremes. I I needed characters that I could connect to, and they they weren't in this movie. I needed characters that connected to each other in some way, but and I didn't feel goes, like they did. Does this go back to Chapin's original point of just like it's I think it not, does. I mentioned I, I mentioned that maybe it does. Maybe I I f- couldn't find the relatable aspect of this movie, and that's totally fair. I mean, I think Atlantic's was a really good point that you brought up, Chapin. It was a movie I liked but had a hard time with it didn't end up with any fixie nominations for me and and i think it had a lot for you uh and i think sometimes these movies that are a little bit more foreign to us no pun intended 
can do that. They can maybe they're good, but I don't know. I hated this movie. So <laughs> really, you hated it? I really did not like this movie. I I just found it. I found it dull. One, which I mentioned, but I just found it an a a frustrating watch because. It, were, it was surrounding characters that I was supposed to either connect to in some way like or in, or at very the very least empathize with. And I didn't do any of those things. I just think about the people who I mean, there's got to be a lot of listeners like you, Lee, who feel the same way. And they are getting their little they're going to get their little alerts for this, you know, probably tomorrow on Wednesday. And like, oh, God, they're finally getting to tenant. And it's <laughs> let, let them all talk. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, Lee. I mean, I got. I, I. I just think you're wrong. I think you're so wrong. And I mean, I think. Uh, I think. I think Soderbergh is like a real genius in like a really subtle way. Like I read something that I, like, that you know you're watching these these people have these conversations and like he films it in this way that is like ostensibly very basic, but like there's just something about even the way he films these scenes that is, like, just so engrossing to me i don't know what it is like the way he like comes into the scenes like halfway through the conversations like you start hearing lucas hedges talk about like the situation and you just get these like little bits of information that you need and you collect them as you go and meet all these different characters and they're done done in this way that like reminds me how much i love this kind of work like i think the past couple years on the podcast we've been I've been moving away from this. Like, you know, I don't like the verite stuff as much. I like the, I like more formal thought out things, but this reminds me of what I used to love about this and why, you know, I used to make, you know, movies with that in mind and, and, and why I used to appreciate this kind of work so much. And, and this is, this is such a, like a breath of breath of fresh air for me in that sense. Yeah. And, and to add to that point, you've been like, I think these movies work when he, when you have bullet points, you're trying to hit. Like Soderbergh had plot points and bullet points and character arcs that he's trying to hit, but let lets the movie breathe a little bit. Um, and also, I think the editing is weirdly really good in a movie yeah. about that's all dialogue. Just the way he's able to place you in those moments and i don't know really how he does it i mean they're simple like oneers over the shoulders wide shot like it, it it's you know nothing extreme about it but he places you in those conversations and in those moments in a really intimate way that i think i think obviously really works here i mean i think works and chapin thinks works and i just I'm so I'm so aggravated brain. for so many reasons. One, now this is going to end up on fixy list. I'm going to have to hear about it for three months. Two, yep. I got a list of like 50 movies, and I had to waste my fucking time watching this. Like, I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. I mean, I clearly clearly we just responded to this movie differently. Like all the points that we're discussing are are very subjective. The filmmaking that you guys just brought up. I mean, I didn't really find anything that he was doing all that impressive. You know, I do I do like that point, Chapin, about, you know, cutting into just the middle of a conversation. I typically do like that. I think that that's a, a very effective way to transition into a scene that isn't often utilized, or at least not often enough. So from a filmmaking standpoint, I think I can get on board with what you guys are saying. As far as the characters go in this movie and really what this movie is all about, like, I just think we're at odds here. Like, I just, I, ha- I had no emotional reaction to any of it. 
and I well, was engrossed. Like I, I'm, I'm not gonna suggest. Like I was not, you know, playing on my phone or anything or going like half in, half out. Like I, I gave this movie its due time and attention, and I just did not respond. And see, I found myself like smiling during it and being like, like really just being captivated by some of these yep. conversations and these people and stuff like that. And it feels like you were scowling. You were doing the exact opposite. You were no, like, I wasn't, I'm angry at you. I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't angry watching this movie because this movie to me just was so just now. empty. Like I, I wasn't mad at the scenes that were happening. I wasn't, I wasn't actually frustrated while I was watching it, but I wasn't just, just currently. Can I, I just, just current. Well, I'm now more angry now because you guys liked it. And I well, just, Lee, what, uh, what did you think of magic? Mike? I never saw it. Okay. This movie reminds me a lot of Magic Mike. And you can watch Magic Mike. Oh, Magic Magic Mike is a is a really good movie. Uh huh. Yeah, Uh I know you like that movie. And I I, prefer You know how he was talking about movies that like he relates to. Um but it it does give you this like I think why I bring that up is like I mean uh, (laughs) it does have the the this the stripping moments, which are like I mean Look, you watch that and you tell me you're not they're like invigorated, well, invigorated well choreographed. They are they are really well done. But you know, cut in with that, you've got these like guys, you know, trying to survive in Florida and it's it's a it's like a little slice of life. It's and and, and it reminds me it reminded me of that movie as much as I re- can remember it. Um and I don't know, like that's I think like what I said about Soderbergh's genius, like in, in, in his later period, I mean, I, I think of movies like out of sight and like the ocean movies. And I, and I think of those being like fun and I, I think of the montages in them. And I think of, you know, the kind of the sort of just like the sort of light cleverness of them. Um, but I think in his, in his latter more serious movies and maybe even going back to his first film, sex lies and videotape, like just m- making, conversations of people talking stimulating and you know i was thinking about this in my own movie like this you know but the, the when i made a movie i just felt like like on its worst day it was just people talking in rooms and like how do you make that exciting and i probably failed at doing that but so- soderbergh took a script and said well let's set it on this like crossing of the atlantic that very few people get to see um and 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 with that comes all these like interesting elements to it. And so you, it is people talking in rooms, but they're in different parts of the ship. And there's a certain heightened emotional state that people experience because they're trapped on board a ship. And there's this, I, you know, there's the, you know, you knew Meryl Streep was going to run into the representative from the publishing agency. Um, that was the big turning point of the movie. (laughs) That was the other thing is like, there's all these like, mysteries and like plot twist attempts in the movie like like her her uh agent being like the stowaway on the shit don't let her find out that i'm here mysteriously spy on her and report back to me and then her who what turns out uh spoiler alert what turns out to be who turns out to be meryl streep's doctor going in and out of her room in the morning and the mystery behind that and who's that and we see him at the pool reading these books and like what is that stuff there for like is this that it had does nothing make to you do. wonder. You weren't wondering, like who? Sure, what's but, happening but that. All, but 
Okay, but like that had no substance in the movie. Sure it did. There was a very big scene that happened at the end that explained it. Of course, so why does it have to be a mystery of who he is? Like, Because know, you, I, the, you understand because the severity of it and you, you yeah. realize what's what's going on with she her. She doesn't then, want people to know. It's part of that past. It's part of that history. Okay, I think, if she keep, I, I think if that's not kept a secret from the audience, then she's a much more interesting character. Like, you see her. I think if she you see her struggle. a more interesting character once you find out. Okay, but then now we're talking about like the twist. How the twist ending changes everything you've just watched. No, we're not we, talking about twist endings. We here. are because That's not my what point is. is my point is that if you if you know that and we're into full spoiler territory here now. So if you haven't watched spoiler Let Them All Talk and you don't want to hear this, you can you can fast forward a little bit. But <laughs> when you find out that Meryl Streep di- is di- dies and is dying throughout this movie. It, Maybe it explains some of her behavior earlier in the movie. But if we know that the whole time, now we see her struggling with this idea or with this this challenge of of still being the person she's always been, which is a little bit cold, a workaholic, whatever, you know, however that is, but also dealing with this reality that she's going to die and she's trying to either make amends or kind of discover what happened to these I friendships. Think it makes it way more interesting to oh, not know. It, no, because you don't. That you spend then you spend two hours, hour and a half watching this movie, not understanding that internal conflict that she's having. That would have been so much more interesting for her character if we know that she's dealing with that. Maybe she gets the diagnosis at the beginning of the movie, and now we learn that oh, yeah. she needs to. Okay, don't say. Oh yeah, we've seen that before. Everything we like. This this movie doesn't do anything new. No, like, but we also have seen it this way before, and I feel like you've never criticized it in the past. Well, maybe in the past you have characters leading up to it that are interesting for some reason. In this movie, these characters were not interesting. I was not engaged in what they were going through. So I would have liked that added layer to her character of knowing she's going to die and she's going. She's <laughs> well, trying she, to solve these things. She doesn't like, know she's going to die. Well, she knows she's sick. She knows she's and, sick. And, so that, that, and, and well, I think what she knows is she knows at any time this could get really bad. And in a way, right. this, this kind of emotionally don't know that at all. We, we don't, don't know, know that, that at all. We don't know that, but 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 it's a common cinematic convention to reveal things at the end that change how we see the rest of the movie. And, and we've and, talked a lot this year about how much we don't like that. That's true. That's true. But you start to understand that, like her behavior, which I think is understandable to begin with, even if you don't understand her medical condition that she wants to reconnect with her friends and that this person who from what you describe lee you know she's not the most generous person she's a little introverted she's a little pompous but she's a talented writer and you start to understand that she may have some issues emotionally like she's a single person in her 70s she doesn't have any kids she obviously had this kind of fractured relationship with her brother who's the only other family we know she has and and as a result has a kind of interesting if not you know, like good relationship with her, with her nephew. And what, what happens is you under, you start to put the pieces together even before you know that she's sick, that she has some unfinished business with these two people. And whether she knows it or not, that's why she invited them on this trip. She's like, can I bring these two people? And then you realize, you think like knowing the structure of the movie, Oh, these are two friends of hers that she sees all the time. But no, these are two friends from long ago. And, 
And she wants to connect with uh, 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 Candace Bergen, but she can't because Candace is going out trying to meet all these people. And, you know, it's unclear why uh, Diane Weist is there, but she's kind of you, you, you sense you see the way these two people, these three people get along. And, you know, you've got Lucas Hedges there. When do I, you see them get along? Well, at the dinner table, and you see them, and and I like I love like I love the little subplot with the with the author, the, the 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 really famous author, who she's at first very you know sort of critical of and doesn't understand her friend's obsession with it, and it's very clear that they're they're much more into his kind of books than they are into her kind of books, and the I, they they don't like the sort of esoteric author that that she made them read that they that was sort of the impetus for the whole trip. Um, and I thought there, I honestly, I also thought this movie was like really funny. And if you think oh, about the too. fact that this was improvised, like, wow, what, what an accomplishment. I agree. I thought it was really funny. And I think Lee, you'd be bemoaning the fact if at the beginning there was a scene with the doctor basically saying you could die at any moment. And then we cut to this. Um, I think you'd say, oh, that's predictable. And that's, you know, you're, silly. you're not, maybe you're right. Because if it was the same movie that followed, then it wouldn't have been able to salvage anything because it's not a very good movie. But I'm saying that if, if there was a layer to Meryl Streep's character like that, it would have made me more empathetic of her. That's all I'm suggesting by saying it would have been interesting to know what her medical condition was. I'm not saying that would have made the better movie. I'm not saying I would have complained about it nearly as much. You just wish she died earlier. Yeah, and like two minutes into the movie and then cut to the credits. <laughs> Well, we'd love to hear another you know what? movie I, from Small X. I would love, I would love to feel, I would love to know uh, if anybody here, if anybody out there agrees with Lee, let us know. Send us a voice memo, feedback at getyourfilmfixpodcast.com. Uh, should we move on, guys? That was a spirited discussion. 41 this, minutes. This, this happens on the podcast, too. Like I said, I hated this movie, which maybe I did, but whenever there's one person that's forced to defend it, their, their no, opinion they, gets so No, you definitely said you hated this movie. You said it's the worst movie of all time. And that one of the worst movies of all time. It's, it's, th- it's this, yeah. this, Hillbilly Elegy, 1917, and then Joker. Okay, guys. So we did get a nice... Uh, phone message, which was which was very nice. Did we all listen to it? Do I need to? Uh, I will play it on the podcast, but do I need to play it for you guys? No, uh, no, I listened. Okay, so, um, so here's Brantley's phone message. Hey guys, Brantley calling in. Just wanted to touch base about the most recent episode you guys did on Mank, uh, and in it you discussed Warner Brothers' decision to move a bunch of their theatrical movies to HBO Max, day and date with theaters uh, in 2021. Um, and in part of that discussion, you discussed like what would happen if you know these big theaters like an AMC and Regal and things like that just were in such dire financial straits that they couldn't uh, continue on and basically had to sell off their their theaters. And uh, you guys mentioned that you didn't think you know Amazon could come in and buy a bunch of theaters and only show Amazon Studios movies due to antitrust laws. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but a federal judge earlier this year in August overturned the landmark Supreme Court case um, from 1948, the United States versus Paramount Pictures, Inc., um, which um, stated that like studios could not own the theaters that they were distributing their movies in. Um, and so we could very easily be coming into a period now where studios could own their theaters. Um, it looks like there's like a two year sunset period, um, on this decision. So I don't know if that means by like 2022 studios could own their own movies, I'm sorry, own their own studios or, or what. Um, 
but it, it very we could very much be looking at a future in which Disney or Amazon or Warner Brothers or Apple or whoever um, has just bought up uh, a bunch of theaters and is only showing their um, movies in it. And then they get, you know, 100 percent of the box office plus concessions, you know, instead of just the what I think is usually like a 60 40 split. I think usually a studio walks away with roughly 60 percent of the overall uh, U.S. box office after the whole run of their movie is done. Um, so I don't know if that's going to happen, but it, it looks like that could very well actually be a possibility because that was um, overturned. And I think what's makes it a more likely possibility is that it, it seems like these studios might be able to buy up these theaters for pennies on the dollar due to the pandemic and get them much cheaper than they would have been able to before. So we'll see uh, what the next few years shakes out to be, but um, that could very well be a possibility. Thanks, guys. Bye. I'd like to get into a lot of different things about the fallout from the HBO Max deal, but I do want to say, okay, I'm, 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 I want to put it, I want to state up front that I am a good progressive liberal, and I and I have a certain amount of uh, dubiousness as it comes as it pertains to corporations. Okay, like I get that, um, but. I did have a thought after listening to Brantley's email, Brantley's uh, phone message, that I don't know that it would be such an awful thing if one of the big tech companies bought out one of the theater chains. And let me hear, let me, let me explain. Well, we know who the sponsor of this podcast (laughs) is now. I don't know if Amazon's the right people for it. And I don't know if someone like Netflix would ever even want to get into it. But here's, here's my thinking. I have rude and 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 disparage the theater going experience over the past couple years on this podcast i am annoyed by people i hate that people go to movies and text i think that the theatrical experience is one that for the most part is done to the lowest common denominator to the lowest bitter there's the minimum amount of people working at movie theaters, everything is digital. The projectors are often awful. There's often like everything is expensive. People crinkle shit all the time. Uh, I wish everybody could see Chavit's face right now. <laughs> I mean, the theatrical experience, at least done by the 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 you know AMC and and uh, Regal, it, it, it's just it's just bad. It's just bad. And 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 pandemic's going to take care of that. So. And I think if and I think one of the reasons, look, like we've got two industries divided. We've got the filmmakers and we've got the theatrical dis- the exhibitors. These are not the same people, right? These are two different businesses with two different business models, but they both need to make profits, right? Now, if you remove, if you combine them, now look, there's a lot of antitrust stuff that makes a lot of sense to keep those two things separated. I get that. I totally understand that. But if you had someone like Netflix or someone like Apple or somebody who had the resources to buy these things but was also making content and saw the film, saw the theatrical experience as a loss leader or just one that you could run at a very minimal amount of profit or just, you know, break even point. You could invest more money in making this an enjoyable experience or, you know what, raise the prices Lee, you and I used to love the movie theater, the Arclight uh, in Hollywood that we lived very close to. 
and it was an experience that was focused on watching movies and making that experience as enjoyable as possible and as true to the filmmakers desires as, as possible. And that meant things like not serving popcorn in a bag because a bag crinkles and, you know, and to be fair, like I'm going to sound like a snob here, but like also making the prices more expensive and keeping out the riffraff. And by riffraff, I mean like teenage kids who are just trying to catch a hand job in the movie theater. Like this is just not the kind of, <laughs> audience that goes to the arc light you know and it's well, funny because me and Chapin often gave each other hand jobs at the yeah. arc light. well yeah because it was such an enjoyable experience but yeah <laughs> um i don't know like i just i mean we should go into all of it because it's all fascinating but like i just don't enjoy the theatrical experience anymore i it, it's not a sure thing for me anymore there's always somebody talking there's always all this bullshit going on and I love going to movies. You know, it's I, I love movies, but it's just it's that that experience is just not what it used to be. So when it comes to the theater chapin, basically you're saying like you would pay whatever amount of money possible to have to have like to get rid of anyone or anything that's gonna distract you I, from I, that experience. I would pay a fifty percent premium to have a nice projector to keep out people who are gonna talk or text or blow their nose or sniffle. I would keep out the. There's a very nice movie theater that I go to because it has because it's you get a couple of you check a couple of those boxes, but they serve fucking dinner during the movie. I mean, okay, like just let me sit there and eat popcorn quietly and watch the movie without people texting and give but me what if assigned want, seats. Like- Give oh, me and, and the and the dine-in theaters and stuff too. Like the it, at the very, and I don't dislike the ideas. And AMC does a good job with it that you can basically, you know, order a dinner or whatever. But the, at the very least, what they need to do is train their servers and explain to them that they are not serving at a restaurant; they're serving in a movie theater. So they can't come up and say, "Hi, my name is Amy, and I'm gonna uh, be your server during this movie. What can I get you?" Oh my Were God, you doing damn. a lot of these in the south? Was that a southern accent? A little bit. I don't know why I came up with the name Amy either. I don't remember any particular server that I had, but they Did always they really, spoke very uh, loudly. See, the, the theater I go to is very small. They're like little 50, like 20 or 30 seat theaters, but they, 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 they try to get you the food before the movie starts. Oh, yeah, they do that, but they still come back and check in. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> What are you God. doing? Anyway. Here's the problem. Here's the problem, though. It's like when you like, I like the idea of like getting the food before the movie and everything has to be settled. But then, like, say you're wa- say you're watching Tree of Life or Wolf of Wall Street, you're gonna run out of beer. How do you solve that problem? Well, you go David? out, you go out, and you get another. Yeah, but beer. then you're the person that's like, oh, excuse me, and well, then look, you get the beer. Look, I understand like, people are gonna leave the movie. Look, that doesn't matter. That's <laughs> been going on. This forever. isn't this isn't what Brantley's thing was about. But I. <laughs> I think <laughs> this just turns into us complaining about <laughs> movie theaters that we can't even go to. <laughs> We're just—I mean, I'm just a misanthropic asshole. I don't like—I don't know what else God. to say. It, I mean, you know it's been a bad year when I wish I could go back to all this this movie theater right. that we're talking about. Oh god, give me give me that like sniffling person next to me and then the kids texting a hundred rows ahead of me who I just like a little light pops up. Oh. <laughs> I just pay, look. Pay I premium just, for that. I think I think it could be done better. And these a lot of these companies like pride themselves on running industries in a better way. And I don't know that it's the best idea. Like I, I can imagine all sorts of bad things that could go wrong. But 
you know, these Netflix is, is, is somebody who, I mean, they bought the Egyptian theater for, uh, in LA. So there's, that's one thing, but, um, I just think it could be done better. And I think some, I think something has happened with the greed of Hollywood, maybe the, you know, growing budgets or something has happened that, that have made theaters have to operate on these minimal, you know, amounts of money. And you've got, like you said, like Lee, you were, you worked in a movie theater when you were a teenager. Like they're just these like teenage kids running this theater that like thousands of people go to. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Chapin, I agree with you on just about everything you said, including kind of my, you know, progressive viewpoints. But I'm also a like tier one Amazon shopper. So I'm I'm not, you know, gonna, you know, tell you that I only support small businesses and independent theaters. Like I also I see the value for me personally, and if you want to call me selfish, fine, for the things that these big companies do. And I agree with you when they launch new things or when they buy things oftentimes at least in the short term and maybe this is short-sighted you see improvements for sure you see things work better amazon bought whole foods and i can now during this pandemic very very easily get my groceries picked and either pick them up or get them delivered and that is not something whole foods was doing before amazon bought them so that's just a small example of kind of the the progressive nature of these companies and i mean progressive sort of in a different uh context there like that they are willing to change and evolve how what movie theaters would be like and yeah. this in this main maybe in the same way that the arc light does and again i i i don't know i haven't thought hard enough about it and i really haven't seen like a blueprint of what it would look like to be able to say, okay, well, here's all the downsides. But well, I kind of felt okay. the same way. I'm like, if if all these companies own their theaters, we'll still be able to see all the movies. We'll just go to a different theater each time, and they'll probably be I, unique and cool in well, their own I got, way. Like, before before Jeremy talks, I just okay. want to say, I, I just want to say that I don't want to get rid of the independent theaters. I think those are all I don't for either. the most those part are great. really well run and the experience that I want. Sorry, Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah. So first off. Well, I'll address the down. I think what I can see as downsides, if we're really going to play out this sort of futuristic, what could happen and why not? I mean, it's fun. But, maybe not all that futuristic. And it may not. Yeah, exactly. But do you think that just because, say, Amazon or Apple or Netflix owns the theaters, that there's a that they are just going to exclusively show their own products? Because maybe not. Good maybe question. there's maybe not. Yeah. They're going to make money if they show the Warner Brothers movie or the Paramount or whatever. They're still they still those companies still need to put the their products into a theater. And if Netflix owns it, well, here and Netflix will take the profit. If you think about it, it's the same way Net- Netflix makes money on uh, content that isn't theirs. They buy right. they, some they and they already have yeah. the some relationships with yeah. studios. It, exactly. So, so I, th- I don't think it's going to be exclusive to their content. And then the downside, mm-hmm. if we're really playing this out, is like, and I can only really see this for Amazon, but I could, the way that Amazon integrates everything, like I could really see them like putting products specifically into movies that you could just like then 
maybe take your phone and scan. I'm serious and scan and be able to find that or get it. Like, and that's they, what we're missing from the theater going experiences. <laughs> not enough phones. <laughs> no texting, but if you see a product you like, no, I, I think this is the downside of it. Like the, sure, the I way mean, a- Amazon would figure out how to sell their products. Cause I mean, that's where they make their money. You know, Amazon prime doesn't make any money really. It, it, it makes from its con- from right. like its, it's a, content. It makes it from the people who it's ship a loss packages. Leader. Yeah, it's a loss leader, and I think that that was my hope is that you know I think theaters are just at this point just I mean, even before the pandemic we're struggling, and there somebody has to figure that out. And I think you know requiring it to make a profit is a, is a challenge. Um, but anyways, the this my sort of rants that I've been going on, it kind of characterizes the way I've changed my thinking about HBO Max and all the fallout from it and what I've been experiencing. And I've just been I, instead of looking at it from like a business standpoint or like a filmmaker standpoint, I've really just been looking at it from a consumer, which is what I am. I mean, I'm not a filmmaker and I'm not a studio head as much as um, they seem to listen to what I tell them to do on this podcast. <laughs> uh, I, I it's because I, you're a consumer. And so I mean, they listen. the three of us finished the, our podcast on Mank last, last week and had a conversation afterwards and talked about how the three of us were going through various different types of struggles. And a lot of people are going through struggles right now related to the pandemic. A lot of people are, are less, a lot less fortunate than us and are not working. And let's, everybody knows this has been a hard year for everybody. So when I hear like Christopher Nolan or Denny Villeneuve talking about like how important the theatrical experience is or how important um you know their film is i i've sort of lost my patience because you know i love the theatrical experience but i'm sure i don't get it the way christopher nolan does and i love him as a filmmaker i have a lot of tremendous respect for him but the fact that he thought he should release his movie in september of 2020 makes me think he might be a little out of touch because uh, the common man uh, yeah i mean i got at Listen, well, like we talk about how <laughs> I see it all the time working in advertising that like that people think advertisers like have mind control over over consumers. I have gotten more tenant ads to see tenant in the theater when it was physically impossible for me to do so than I have seen an ad for any other product this year. That is a complete waste of money. Well, um, well, they also they he, also know who they're marketing to when it comes to you somehow. Well, they do, but they know I can't. Why would? But they would know if they looked at a map that I could not see tenant. But I don't think it goes like that. I think it's like your phone Siri just says, "Well, this guy says the word tenant twelve times a minute." So <laughs> yeah, but, uh, but it also knows right. But it also knows that my phone is located in Portland, Oregon, where no movie theaters are showing tenant. So maybe, maybe not. I I have grown. Uh, equally frustrated with Christopher Nolan and all of those kind of kind of towing the same party line as him here. Uh, you know, we're all very excited to see Tenet. It's going to be our next movie that we're going to do for the podcast. We're going to be watching it this week. I, I'm not going to be watching it till Sunday. I was explaining to the guys that I have a very specific reason for that. It's the soonest that I can empty out my house of my wife and son so that I can watch it Permanently. As loud and as close to Nolan's cinematic experience as I can here in my house. So I'm very excited to watch his movie, but I'm getting 
really, really annoyed by Nolan. Like this is everybody that's on my iPhone. We're just (laughs) just to piss him off. Yeah, take that. (laughs) Hey, at Chris Nolan, watch this. I um I don't want to I don't want to repeat everything I said last week, but the the whole idea that all of these filmmakers are getting in line with what a bad idea this is to put these movies on HBO Max are none of them are mentioning the pandemic. In an interview with Steven Soderbergh, he basically said exactly the things that we were saying. Right. Will you tell people what they said? What he said? This there is a pandemic going on. These movies are just sitting there, and they need well, to be shown. The line and, that I liked the most with his was there's a there's a cultural what was it a uh, a cultural, cultural sh- shelf life shelf yeah, life cultural right. shelf life and like a movie especially a movie that's been advertised like Wonder Woman where this machine this PR machine has already you know ramped up and and stopped and started the promotion for this film. It it has to come out, it, but and yes, and all and that's a hundred percent true. So the studios have to do something with these movies. But the other piece that I I liked that he was saying that the Nolans of the world just seem to be ignoring is that this pandemic is eventually going to end, and theaters in some form are going to show movies again, and that's going to be the only place where a movie can make a billion dollars. Nothing. Right. Nothing is going to come even close to that said this anywhere week. else. And he said, you know, if you put these movies that you own that that are made on a streaming service, you might make some money. You probably are going to lose a little money. If you don't and you try to put them in theaters, you're going to lose a fucking ton of money. And you know what did that? Tenant. <laughs> he was the lost leader. He called he called he said you're put they're going to be putting movies on a streaming service as a lost leader. Tenet was the lost leader. Tenet was the movie that they put in the theater, learned their lesson, and now are m- making changes. So, because 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 Nolan forced them to. I know, and they I mean, wanted Nolan to maintain had their Warner relationship by with the balls. Them. And and now there's and now I I heard that like okay maybe, um, you know Patty Jenkins who got a, a good sum of money for kind of agreeing to put to, to have Wonder Woman put on HBO Max, um, and obviously has a relationship with Warner Brothers. Is is now in conversations to direct a Star Wars movie, which is Disney. Well, so she's like she, shifting she, studios. She is right? going to Disney. Yeah. yeah. So she's shifting studios, which I don't think is a big as big a deal as they make it sound. A lot of directors work with different studios, but I know these big, you know, uh, blockbuster filmmakers like Nolan tend to work with similar studios because they will continue to give them the money they want to make their movie. So now there's speculation that oh, Nolan's going to leave Warner Brothers because of this and go to Universal. Let's let's just create a hypothetical here. If Nolan, also, if Nolan made a movie with Universal right now and just, in, you know, for argument's sake, made it in record time and was it was ready to release in a month and a half, it's going to be the same goddamn problem. <laughs> Universal and also, who cares if they move studios? This isn't the no, 1920s. Nobody this cares. is like a totally different Hollywood. But that's, that's a great point. And it reminds me of what Louis B. Mayer says in Bank, that it's like. The, what the secret about movies is that it's something you pay for, but then you you at the end of the day you. Leave I love that nothing. line. Yeah, it's and, you, and you, it's so it's, it's something so, you pay for only for a memory. The the product you paid for still belongs to the person that sold it to you. Exactly, <laughs> and and but I think that's what's different about streaming is that it is a it is in a way yours. Like yeah, 
we can watch Mank as long as you maintain your Netflix subscription. You can watch Mank whenever you want and however you want to watch it. Yeah, it, but you, think about it. It's costing us fifteen dollars a month, yeah, which it would yes, cost. Yes, but us. it is yours. That's the difference. Is that you yeah, can? But it alone you, is not costing you fifteen dollars a month. Yeah, like, you have control over it. It's the it. only and movie I'm going to watch. To me, <laughs> like ever, just that's just an example of how inflexible Hollywood has been to changes, and you know, unfortunately, HBO Max which I kind of forgot about was is owned by AT&T. And a lot of people speculate that this is the reason why it part of the reason why they went to HBO max is that this isn't a film company anymore. It's a cellular company. And I don't know if that's true or not. I think I'm sure the HBO or the Warner brothers, people still have a tremendous amount of control, but you just see the way, I mean, Hollywood has always been resistant to change and you can see like dinosaurs like Denny Villeneuve and, and Christopher Nolan, who doesn't even have a cell phone. I mean, like I, in a way I tr- have a tremendous amount of respect for him. I'm about to go like do the same thing. You are Lee clear at my house. To, I'm so excited to watch his movie, but you're not a studio head. You're a director. And there's an honestly, like you have much more of my respect for being a director, but maybe you don't understand the, the way that a move like the, the that the way a movie should be released and maybe the real result of this tenant thing is that they never give someone like Nolan the power to do so again. I mean, luckily for Warner brothers, they are part of a big conglomerate. And so having a movie like tenant completely bomb is not like a big, a scratch as, as a big a deal as it was maybe like 10 or 20 years ago, but this is a big deal and they can't let filmmakers say, you have to release my movie in 2000 theaters during a pandemic when the biggest markets in this country can't go see the movie like this that you just that just can't happen and we're not going to give filmmakers that that and blank check anymore look we're not we're certainly no strangers to you know people starting to complain when the power they have is threatened and if you think about some of the most powerful filmmakers in Hollywood, people like Steven Spielberg, who also happens to be very resistant to streaming, and Christopher Nolan, whose name can open a movie, and he's one of the few filmmakers left that can that can make a billion dollars at the box office just because he directed it. You know, he clearly saw it. And, like, look, we 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 put these filmmakers on a pedestal because we love them as filmmakers and I think that we naively assume that they are reasonable nice people but maybe he's a fucking power hungry maniac and he saw this as a threat to his power he said if my movie doesn't go in the theater I'm going to lose all the power I have in Hollywood and now he's continuing to double down on that complaint and it's, I don't even think it's, it's that it's, I don't think it's that he he's like if I if it doesn't go to the theaters I, I won't have the power I have I think he's just narcissistic enough to say you should not watch my movie i think that's probably my movie that i made for imax specifically and you should not watch it any other way for the first time and people need to see this i don't care if there's a pandemic this is important it's something i spent hours and years on like this he frames it as i'm trying to support the movie theaters and it's like I get the I get that he worked so hard on it and like all all directors do. I mean, and it is going to be better. It would be better in the theater. And of course like, it would be. But like the the idea that you don't care, uh, you don't care if somebody were to watch like that. You do care so much if somebody were to watch it on their own TV. It's really sort of a narcissistic thing. 
and 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 to be to be completely honest, I was thinking about this today. It's a narcissism that I understand. Like, you know, Jeremy, you and I got to watch a movie we made in theaters a couple times. There's nothing like watching a movie that you've made in a theater with an audience. It, like that's what you. That's why you made the movie. And sometimes you forget. Sometimes you forget when you know people aren't like you know lo- <laughs> excited to see your movie when you're just some nobody like like myself like. That's the that's the ultimate experience to see people enjoying your movie in a big crowd. But right, but he's also not going to be sitting in every single one exactly. of those theaters. Exactly, and 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 that and also like that's not the experience. Like most people saw our movie on DVD, and like that's just the way it is. Like unfortunately, we, we and, and and that's probably the same for Nolan too. Like po- most people probably saw Inception on Netflix. Or on video. I mean, it did very well box office wise, but like, this is just the reality. And, but, and, and it's I, always and that, been that way. I mean, <laughs> and that goes to also show you, he, he not only insisted you see his new movie Tenet in theaters during a pandemic, he decided to release a 10 year old movie yeah. <laughs> during a pandemic and insist you see that too. I, I just, I'm getting, I mean, part of my frustration too is that they, there's just this like argument being made without any mention of the idea that in a year maybe like you can release your movie in a theater. It might be your next movie, it might not be the one that you just finished and I'm sorry, that's too bad. You know, a lot of people had things they had to cancel this year. Yeah. So a lot I of just, things. A lot of things a lot of things that are more important than a movie. Right. And I just and uh, yeah, and like, look, like if you want to, if you want to feel bad for them as filmmakers, fine. But a lot of these people who are complaining are big studio filmmakers, some of whom got a ten million dollar check to sign off on this happening. So if you felt bad for them, you probably shouldn't. Well, not you can understand got that. Only what they're those arguing. Two people. I know Gal Gadot that. It was Pat, and, Patty and Jenkins Patty and Gal Gadot got yeah. that for Wonder Woman. Um, you can understand their complaints, right? And I and if you are a theater purist, fine. You can you can wish that 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 streaming wasn't kind of you know treading on the theater's territory so much and seeming to do so at a increased pace because of the pandemic. But it was going to get there anyway, at some point, and whatever the catalyst of that was going to be, it was going to happen. But I think we've just, you know, beat a dead horse at this point. The theater is not going to completely go away. It may change, but it's already changed. It's changed many times over the years. And we just kind of evolve with it. So, I don't know. I, I, did, I can't listen to the, the complaints. And, like, the, it's, it's not just the fact that people are complaining. It's, the, it's, the, it's kind of like the attention and agreement with the complaints. Like everybody's just like, yeah, this could be the death of movie theaters. Yeah. Did you hear what Christopher Nolan said? Yeah. A lot of these people are agreeing. A lot of, a lot of Hollywood's really upset about this. People are suing. Like would somebody important and powerful just chime in and say, Hey, that's not really the case. I mean, I guess Soderbergh yeah. did, but well, Soderbergh, Soderbergh doesn't make Soderbergh good movies anymore. Soderbergh also ar- has the argument of the one movie that maybe I wish I had seen in theaters. Let them all talk. 
let the if you guys talk any more about this movie for the rest of the year. Okay, but but how about the movie Jeremy that you're working on? It's a big Which, time big time filmmaker, huge huge cast. This is this is the reality. Like and it's, it's for Netflix. Yeah. And it's for Netflix and it's an interesting idea for a movie that I, that you can see. I don't know if Adam McKay tried to get this made in a for theatrical distribution or not, but it's an idea you can see would meet resistance in, a, in in the in the mainstream system, and now it's got like two of the biggest stars ever attached to it, and a whole bunch of other people in it, and it's a huge movie. I mean, people. Yeah, and it's it's not I mean, everybody sure. is Nolan. Like, n- not only is not everybody Nolan in that they don't have the resources to have like a seventy millimeter film projector in their house, probably, but also not everybody's like Nolan isn't going to be Nolan forever. At some point, he's going to turn sixty. He's not going to be the big time filmmaker is, and he's going to have to find a way to make the type of movies he wants to make. And that's, that's really the genius of that is finding a way to, to express your vision to people. That's what this is all about. Theater experiences is amazing. It's an emotion. It's a, it's a experiencing things with other human beings. It's, 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 it's great. We all three of us love it, but really except for the fil- other human beings part. <laughs> yeah. Except for the other the human empty beings theater part. is Just really don't, the ideal don't scenario. Touch me. But the, but the reality is you're conveying your story to another human being and that there's a bunch of different ways to do that. Um, and, and that and, should be uh, a good thing. Right. And to as many people think as it possible, is. think about how many more people that are, are, have access to his films when they are on Netflix. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. And it, it's a global, you're connecting with people globally. It's, and yeah, and and I, I is a whole other discussion to have. But ultimately, and I would argue that if you have a decent setup at home, you're not losing much as far as your experience. Ultimately, because as even when you you're in the theater, it, yeah. well, even when you're in the theater and you're you have the surround sound, you have the big screen. As humans, we adapt really quickly. You sort of you're 20 minutes in that becomes it becomes less about the scope of what you're seeing and it becomes more about the story. And it's the same thing at home. 20 minutes in, you're hopefully engrossed enough in the story that you can ignore the scope. And you really could have just as pleasurable, if not more of an experience at home watching it as you can at the theater. I, I mean, I know. I, I would say a very small percentage of my favorite movies or my favorite film experiences ultimately have been at the theater. I can name them because they have been that that um, pleasurable, but most of them is just movies we've watched for the podcast or watched at home or stuff you've discovered. And it's just how it is. I don't think it takes anything away from it. It's like this year, like we watched Come and See, a movie I would never have of scene would have been better in the theater probably but it was it it was a great film experience and a discovery that i had at home sitting on my couch and like are are you gonna tell me that's not valid because i didn't see it at the theater were you supposed to wait out coolidge corners like right you know retrospective on 80s russian cinema like (laughs) and i wasn't gonna wait anymore (laughs) so i mean it's not and I guess my point is that it's not like you can it's not like you lose a ton watching this stuff at home. You just gain a little bit watching it in the cinema. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, it's sad to say, but you know, given 
my life circumstances right now, the most intimate experience I have watching a movie is on my phone in bed, you know, because I have nothing else I can focus on and, and there's no baby crying and there's no work and, you know, and I'm, you know, we're lucky to have that. Like we're lucky to have such access to things. Um, yeah. Not, we, it, back in the day, you'd have to read a book. Yeah. To read a book. Gross. I even read a book on my, on my phone now too, which is another thing. But, <laughs> uh, okay guys. Well, thank you for that spirited discussion. That's going to do it for this edition of the get your film fixed podcast. God, what a great movie, right guys? Um, let let them all Loved talk. It. Let them all talk about it. Let them all talk uh, about this podcast. Except for um, Lee. Uh, Lee won't be talking about it, uh, but maybe we'll see this film make a, an appearance at the Fixies. Uh, God, I hope not. So God next willing. week, Tenant, the long-awaited Tenant. Hopefully we can get over our anger at Christopher Nolan in this moment. Um, I think he walked back some of his statements after a publicist. Well, just, we him. watched Tenet and like we suddenly disagree with everything he said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know who's on to something? That um, Christopher Nolan. We, we may do that a little earlier in the week than we typically do. So you can look forward to that pretty soon. Um, thanks so much for listening. If you guys, if you agree with me and Jeremy, please let us know. But if, especially if you agree with Lee, we'd love to hear your thoughts on why this is a bad movie because uh jeremy and i certainly don't understand it uh thank you guys so much uh take care i'm staying i'm finishing my coffee enjoying my coffee